Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us today for CCL's Big Tent Climate Talks. Uh, this conversation is a quarterly series that spotlights leaders in the climate community. Uh, this year, we're going to focus the conversation each quarter on one of our four main policy planks. Today, we will be discussing building electrification and efficiency with a trusted expert and partner. At CCL, uh, we know solving climate change requires a variety of policies and perspectives. This is why we do our work under a big tent that includes folks from the right, the left, and every spot in between. We're here to learn more about how we can all work together uh, better. For those who don't know, I'm Kyle Kameen, and I'm the manager of stakeholder engagement and government affairs. My work focuses on building the coalition of partners in our big tent and advocating for legislation. Today, CCL is pleased to be hosting a conversation with Dr. Luis Aguirre Torres to discuss some of his most recent work at Rewiring America. Before I officially introduce him, I want to make a few gentle reminders about our ground rules. At CCL, we love our focus and we're open-minded. That focuses, today's focus is on listening and learning from the experience of a fellow climate advocate. If you bump into a moment or reaction where something is shared that you think or feel differently about, lean into it and see this as an opportunity to learn about the larger climate movement and better understand a different perspective. Learning from each other and working together is how we're gonna get this job done. So with that, I'm going to introduce today's guest. Dr. Aguirre Torres is a senior advisor at Rewiring America, where he focuses on identifying, incentivizing, and articulating community-scale electrification projects. Prior to joining Rewiring America, he was the director of sustainability for the city of Ithaca, New York, where he led the design and implementation of the first city-scale building electrification program in the United States. He is a member of the senior executive group for Net Zero Carbon Cities at the World Economic Forum and co-chair of the New York State Climate Impacts Assessment for Society and Economy. He holds a degree in computer engineering, a master's in computer science, and a PhD in electronic and electrical engineering from University of College London. He also holds certificates in financing and deploying clean energy from the Yale University and systems thinking from Cornell University. Luis, is there anything else you would like folks on this call to know about you that I might have missed before I jump into our first question and kind of pivot to your presentation? Man, I have two kids and a cat. I always tell people about that, and, you know. <laughs> And I like my cat. <laughs> <laughs> so humanizing yourself a little bit besides just the that litany of degrees and expertise that you possess. <laughs> I grew up with cats, so I, I, I love cats as well, dogs and cats. Oh, yeah, I'm going to see my cat coming, man. I mean, he's going to show up. Every time I'm presenting, he shows up. So you, you'll see him. <laughs> the star of the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Um, that's great. We're, we're very fortunate to have you as our guest. Um, with that said, let's transition to our conversation so I can stop doing all the talking. Uh, for the audience, we're gonna do things a little bit differently today. I'm going to start the conversation with a question and then Luis is going to present for about 15 to 20 minutes, but don't worry. Um, as usual, we've saved time at the bottom of the hour for audience Q&A and, and we'll, we'll make sure that we get through some of those. So to kick off the conversation prior to your presentation, um, Luis, can you tell our audience a little bit about the why personally behind your work and Rewiring America and how you personally got into the climate movement. Yeah, so I'm gonna, you know, start with the last part first, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm originally from Mexico and, you know, I grew up in a country that, you know, the whole economy is based on oil, you know, oil extraction. And, you know, so so we, you know, for a really long time, I grew up thinking that that was normal, you know, that's the way it is. And, and I didn't pay a lot of attention to what it was doing to the planet. 
then I went to study abroad and then I came to live in the United States and I actually have been moving around. I lived in Israel, I lived in different places. And then, you know, like every time you move, every time you see things differently, you you, you realize that, you know, things could be better and, and they could be better, you know, in so many different ways. And then you realize that, you know, a lot of what we're doing to the planet is because we as humans somehow decided, it's not that we got organized and decided let's screw this place, no, but, but you know, we started doing things in a way that was not convenient for the future. So, so then I started thinking that, you know, like if at some point we decided somehow this was the way to go and I were realizing that was wrong, then it's not out of reach to fix it and change it. Yeah. So it is human made, so it could be human unmade. And and I believe that's, uh, you know, a bit of the inspiration. And then I just, you know, happened to be married to an environmentalist uh, and, you know, like the whole thing started clicking. And one day I figured, you know, like all the technical knowledge and understanding that I have of the world and, you know, can be used for something else. So I was at the time an entrepreneur working in telecommunications, but then I realized that there's a, a, a bigger thing at play here. So there is a, a need to, you know, put effort towards helping fixing the planet. So like 20 years ago, I made the switch and, and I've been working on climate change ever since. And it's been, it's been a wonderful ride, to be honest. It's been uh, very frustrating, but every so often you, you, you understand that you're not alone. There's a ton of people working, you know, with the same goal in mind. We have different approaches, different ideas. And among those, I found an organization called Rewire in America. Uh, and, and this was amazing, right? Because, you know, I was doing this work in the city of Itaca. I was working on electrification. Yeah. And then I, uh, you know, at some point I, I, I felt, honestly, I felt lonely. I felt like, you know, like it was like me against the universe, you know, like, like at some point, like all the challenges were so many. And then I got a phone call from somebody at Rewire in America saying like, look, you don't know us, we're new, we're new in the space, but you know, a bunch of us very much committed and, and we want to help. And that was my first interaction with Rewire in America, you know, basically offering help. And where do you need help? I was like, everywhere, man, like absolutely <laughs> everywhere. Uh, so they connected me to a ton of people that had a ton of knowledge and, and it all, you know, came together so nicely and we developed a very nice relationship. Uh, so the work I was doing in Ithaca, you know, it was very intense. It was very uh, challenging. And at some point I just, I just needed to, to move, move on and I needed to, to change and Rewire invited me to work with them. And, you know, it was, it was a smooth transition because I was going to be working on, on, you know, like if we, what we did in Ithaca, you know, to start a movement to electrify cities, you know, can we actually generalize that? Can we turn it into something that can be applied everywhere? Right. And, and that's a challenge. That's what I'm working on. And the war in America, I think I couldn't think of a better home for that, you know? Well, that's terrific. Thank you for sharing that. I think some of the feelings that you shared about, you know, what drove you and to your climate action is something uh, is a theme that I often, and I know many of my colleagues at CCL hear from our volunteers, they're looking for a space, they have this feeling, they're looking for a place, an organization to help them channel that need to do something, that need to take action, that need to be a part of change. And so I'm sure that they can really uh, um, identify with, with what you just articulated. And uh, with that, I'm going to have you jump into your, your work with rewiring, and then uh, we'll come back and answer some volunteer questions. That sounds good. So I'm, I'm going to share my screen if that's okay with everybody. Uh, and Kyle, please do let me know if this is okay. You, can you see my screen? I can, and we're now it's in presentation mode. We're good to go. Okay, fantastic. So once again, and I should have said this before, Kyle, thanks so much, man, for this invitation. I really enjoy, I, I mentioned this to you before, uh, you know, this group is particularly interesting and challenging, mostly because on one hand is very committed and on the other is very well informed. 
And, you know, that's always challenging when you are, you know, giving presentations or talking about your work. And it's not challenging because you don't want people to, to find out, you know, what you're doing wrong or anything. It's just that every time you learn something new and you realize, you know, there's different ways of doing things. And a lot of the time is, you know, you find out a more efficient, better way. So uh, right now, what I want to take you through is, you know, who Reward in America is, what the focus is and what is it that we're trying to do. But then hit on bits and pieces where, you know, we can work together because I really believe that the reach that this group has combined with the tools and, and also the mission of Rewire in America, you know, we can make a wonderful partnership. So let me start by telling you, you know, what or who Rewire in America actually is. So Rewire in America is, is a nonprofit. And, you know, I know there are so many nonprofits out there, but this is a nonprofit that is entirely focused on electrification. You know, the idea is to help the entire country electrify homes, businesses, communities, cars, everything whatever you can think of you know like if you think about it in the world when you you, you think about the the energy stock you know there is a studies for example this one from Princeton where they talk about like probably 80 percent of the energy stock in the world can be electrified or actually it's less it's it's 70 percent uh but but you, you, you if you think about it in the United States you know it's around the same thing you know like but out of that 70 percent that can be electrified a bunch of them are buildings you know so what if we were to start with buildings what if we were to start electrifying you know making them not only efficient but also carbon free uh, so what we do as an organization we develop accessible and actionable data and tools and and we provide you know information articulate and broker connections so people can actually find a partner to work on something that we all believe together that can lead to something that we call shared abundance, which basically means, you know, if we do things right, we can move towards a model of sustainable prosperity that can be shared by everybody in a climate safe future. So that is what Reward in America is. That's the mission. And we're really trying hard to better understand how, you know, we can help and what our role is as a national nonprofit in this whole movement. You know, at the end of the day, our belief is, is that, you know, we can truly electrify everything. And that could lead to this shared abundance that I was talking about. Uh, it all started in 2020, you know, it's not that old, it really is just, you know, a couple of years old, uh, and, and the idea was, okay, what if we were to find a way of promoting electrification, uh, and then doing that by, you know, and helping lower energy costs, uh, and then by doing that, we also, you know, improve indoor air quality, so we have healthier homes and buildings, and at the end of the day, there is a benefit for the climate movement, so, you know, it's two years ago, and, and the reason we're focusing on energy is because 87% of the emissions come from energy, and I know that this group probably knows that, but, you know, at the end of the day, when we think about energy and that 87% of emissions, you know, we're really talking about energy that is used to produce movement, to produce heat, to cook our foods, to dry our clothes, so we are focusing on that that actually has relevance at the personal level. You know, this is something that that for a really long time, we have been looking at mostly on the supply side. You know, we've been looking at things slightly differently, but now we're we're thinking, okay, what if we were to focus on on those things on the other side of the spectrum? You know, like on 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 the consumer side. So, and and the reason we're thinking about this is because you know, on one hand, while we have to continue pushing those producers of energy, those that extract fossil fuels that, you know, that generates energy, you know, what we're going to continue working with them. But what if we were to work with, with you know, the end user? What if we were to work on those 42% of the decisions that need to be made in order to switch away from fossil fuels? You know, like those decisions that you and I have at the kitchen table at the end of the day, when we come home and we start thinking we need to buy a new car, can we buy an electric car? The furnace is broken. Can we change it? What about heat pumps? You know, can we change for induction cooks? I mean, at the end of the day, what we are thinking is what if we were to target 
you know, those 42% uh, of the decisions that I made at the kitchen table, because at the end of the day, it is tied to this other number, which is 70% of Americans that are concerned about climate, but really don't have a place to go. They don't, they don't think that, that they have a, a, you know, something to add to, to, to the fight, to what we're doing. And, and it is very interesting. And I think a lot of you in the audience could, could see this. You know, like for me, it, it is funny because I hang out with nerds. I hang out with environmental nerds. And, you know, we talk about this all the time. So at times I forget that not everybody's part of this fight. Not everybody's concerned about climate. But then I talk to, like, you know, my parents, friends, and I realize that they care about it. They just don't know what to do about it. So we figure, okay, we were to focus on, on that side, the consumer side. We were to focus on 42%. Uh, of the decisions that are made at the kitchen table. And if we were to think about 70% of the Americans that don't have a place to go, then we can offer something. And, and you know, this is not new. And, and, and this is all really interesting. And, you know, it's funny because if you, if you were to understand where did the war in America the war in America come from? You know, you need to go back all the way to the 80s. You need to go back to the first energy crisis and you start thinking, why did we have that energy crisis? Well, you know, it was a shortage of gas at the time. You know, and at the time the government was concerned, can we actually supply the necessary gas and energy overall for what the country needs, especially considering the way the country is growing? And, you know, by doing that, by doing this conscious analysis about, you know, the energy that we needed to power this country, we started thinking in terms of efficiency. We started thinking, okay, what if we were to develop a new standard for buildings like Energy Star? What if we were to develop a standard for miles per gallon? So we started thinking about efficiency, and that was good, you know. And and we were told like you shouldn't waste, you know, waste is stupid, man. Don't do that. So yeah, like efficiency is good, waste is bad. So we got that going, and the 80s was great in that way, in that sense. But then you know we get to where we are today, and where we are today is you know at the end of the day, you know you can have the most efficient internal combustion engine vehicle in the world and it will still use gas. And it's not only the gas that you use, it's how we extract, how we process, how we refine, and how we get it to where you are so you can use it. So at the end of the day, you know, we're not talking about efficiency only, you know, we're talking about, you know, removing emissions and the need to use fossil fuels. So it is funny because at some point, you know, uh, we thought that we could understand really where energy came from, but then, you know, in, uh, in 2018, Sol Griffin uh, gets a contract from the Department of Energy from ARPA-E, and Sol Griffin is, is the founder of Rewire in America, the author of the book Electrify, and he did this wonderful analysis, wonderful analysis that basically identifies where the energy comes from and what the energy is being used for. And this type of Sankey diagram basically tells you, you know, a bunch of the energy that we're actually generating is going to waste because of the way the system is set up. So it's, you know, when we are talking about efficiency we're talking about waste being bad and efficiency being good then we need to concern about all the energy that we're wasting right so so what, what about a furnace that is 30 percent efficiency uh, efficient and 70 percent of the energy is being waste so we were to look at that diagram that flow diagram that identify all the sources and uses of energy and we were to identify the machines that are associated with that we could see that on one hand we have all the machines that we use to extract fossil fuels to process fossil fuels deliver fossil fuels and then on the right side we see all you know how we use it and at the end of the day we go back to the machines that we have at home you know we're talking about machines that perhaps need to be replaced because once again if we were to look at this in terms of energy use and we were to think okay the status quo is this there is this so much waste and if we were to focus just on efficiency we may be able to reduce some of the waste but if we were to electrify we completely reduce 
like at least by 90%, we reduce all the energy waste. So, you know, it, it's a no-brainer. Electrification is the efficiency. If at some point we put the weight of the federal government and society behind an effort to make this country more efficient, why can't we today, you know, put the weight of the entire country to make this, this entire country electric? You know, that would be awesome. And, and to do that, we need to, <laughs> this, is, this is interesting, right? Because the number is huge. We need to replace a billion machines. You know, it's a billion machines that we need to electrify across 121 million households. And, and you know, 121, 121 million uh, households that include, you know, machines like the ones you see there, you know, like perhaps a car, uh, uh, you know, a dryer, uh, uh, you know, water heater, but also we need to consider, you know, that's like half a billion uh, machines. But if we consider everything that we need, like breaker boxes to, to make this possible, we're talking about a billion machines that need to be in place so we can actually have an electric country. And you know what? It is possible. It is feasible. It's just that the number seems to be overwhelming, but it's not one person. It's not one group. It's the entire country, you know, making this possible. So, you know, it, it's the reason we're also focusing on this is if uh, if anybody has read the book Electrify, you know, it has a bunch of wonderful, wonderful tables with interesting information that they gathered through like several years of research. And, and one of the key points is how much money people spend in average. What is the average spending for every household in America? And how much people spend in gasoline every year? How much they spend in electricity? How much they spend in gas? And then, you know, it's not only identifying how much people spend in fossil fuels, but it's also identifying how much of the household income it actually represents. You know, for probably 35% of the country, it is the lowest uh, expenditure that they have. But there is, you know, there is a, a number of people that is the highest. And that is like at least, you know, three to 4% of the entire country. You know, when you think about 300 million people and you think about equity and you think about all of that, it tells you it cannot continue like that. You know, we, we actually need to do something about this. So... I, I, we believe that if we were to electrify, if we were to address those decisions that are made at the kitchen table for 70% of the Americans at least, and if we were to think about the amount of money that people invest in, you know, have to spend in fossil fuels, and if we were to electrify, there is $1,800 that people could actually save in average. And I ask you not to get hung up on the details, like whether this number is slightly higher or lower, I promise you it's somewhere around here. But the key point is, you know, we can actually produce immediate economic benefit for everybody and, and including for those people that are, you know, very difficult to produce savings at all because they have three jobs that pay really badly or, or are unemployed or, you know, or worse. So at the end of the day, we were, if we managed to do this, we would, you know, promote the largest wealth transfer from energy producers to consumers in history. You know, we're talking about, you know, abundance. We're talking about share abundance, sustainable prosperity. We're talking about things different from the way we have it today. So at the end of the day, this concept of, of, of shared abundance, you know, really becomes the main driver for, for what we were in America is trying to do. Because at the end of the day, what we are trying to do is to follow this imperative, which is within the next decade, we must change the market, you know, default. And we need to make sure that these electric machines are all over the place and that they are convenient, they're accessible, and that people can actually, you know, make use of them. The reason we haven't done this is because, you know, there is a market failure. At the end of the day, the market of in energy, at least, is dominated by, by just a few companies, a few groups that are, you know, pushing this on us. But at the end of the day, you know, this creates uh, an imbalance of information and power and influence. And it's time to change that. It's time to change that and reorganize the market, perhaps, you know, drive synthetic markets that can help us, you know, create new opportunity. And, you know, as it turns out, 
Thanks to the IRA, we have right now a wonderful opportunity to turn this into reality. You know, it's really funny because, you know, I was talking about how, you know, since the 80s, we started thinking about energy in a, in a very different way. Uh, but also, you know, it is funny to think that every major environmental piece of legislation that has gone through uh, successfully in the government has been with a Republican government, like every single time. And this is the first time that we have a democratic government that actually passes this through and, and, and successfully, you know, promotes a new way of, of doing things, you know, and, and this is a beautiful piece of legislation. If you guys haven't looked at it closely, I invite you to do that. And if you are policy nerds, you're going to have a blast, you know, get a glass of wine and read the IRA because I promise you it's going to be fun. At the end of the day, what the IRA does, it, it basically creates an electric bank account for all of us. You know, it's a ton of money that we can access to make sure that we can participate in the energy transition. You know, there are uh, point, of, uh, point of purchase rebates, tax breaks, incentives. You know, there is a number of things that we can access with the, uh, with the IRA, which, you know, it, it really means that, you know, if we were to put all that together and, and if we were, you know, people to learn and understand what the IRA can do for you, what is it that the electric bank account actually means for you in terms of, you know, how much money you have there that you can access, you know, if we put all that together, that's what we call the electric potential. That's that's what we call when we have a whole community can that can take advantage of, you know, a piece of legislation in this way, you know, we're talking about something unique, you know, and, and that is happening today. So at the end of the day, you know, we've been promoting that there is about a hundred billion dollars that is the potential for the Inflation Reduction Act. But the reality is that it's so much more than that. We anticipate that it is going to be about $858 billion that you know represent you know what you can do with the IRA, mostly because a lot of it has to do with the tax code and, and there is no cap in there. So you know, a hundred billion is of what we calculated, you know, because that's the amount of money that can go to the bank. But in reality, if we put everything together, we're talking about $858 billion. So nothing like this has ever happened in the US before. So we're talking about something that, that needs to happen, but we need to make it happen ourselves. You know, we need to push costs, you know, we need to make sure that costs go down. We need to change the narrative. You know, people are still thinking and, you know, you have seen ads for the fossil fuel industry and you see people buying into all of these things. So we need to change the narrative. We need to make sure that people understand that we're creating a new market and that market comes with opportunity. And that is actually the plan. You know, if, if we follow this plan to go electric, we're going to really transform the country. So. The way we are we're thinking about this is, you know, imagine this graph, you know, this is for illustration purposes only, but imagine that you want to electrify a low income single family home that is like 200 years old, right? So this is, you know, the total cost could be around $50,000. So, you know, there's money coming from, you know, federal government in the IRA. So, you know, that gives you some money. And then if you add to that incentives from state governments in some places, so, you know, you, you, the, the cost of the overall project continues to come down. And if you educate people and if you educate and create a marketplace, you, you basically reduce the cost even further. And if you think about, can we use these, you know, as a way of mitigating carbon emissions? And by doing that, can we actually take the replacement of a furnace with an electric heat pump as a way of promoting, uh, you know, emissions reduction? So, so it could be uh, seen as a carbon offset. We can actually reduce the cost even further. And if we were to aggregate these, and if we were to do this at a community level, like the whole city, for example, can we actually reduce cost as much as we are imagining? Can we bring something that could be $50,000 down to, you know, probably $16,000 and then we bring in, you know, financing for this? Imagine that. I mean, there's everything that we need right now to make this possible. But also, you know, we need the tools. And, and to do that, 
Rewiring America is working, you know, to create a series of tools, like for example, this calculator. If you go to, to the website of Rewiring America, you press on the calculator button, you know, there's gonna ask you, they're gonna ask you a few questions, only a few questions that if you answer, they can tell you how much money you can access through the IRA. So, you know, we're trying to help people understand how they can access this electric bank account so we can actually transform this country. And, and we're going beyond that, right? I mean, we're doing the calculator, we're doing a guide uh, with case studies, and we're actually helping people choose, you know, because we, we don't want to educate people only in, in, you know, what the options are, but also to plan and, and help them understand if you do this and this and this together, what is that you can gain? Uh, uh, so at the end of the day, we plan to turn everything that we're doing and all of these tools, you know, into something that people can use to access incentives, rebates, and everything else that is available so people can participate in this transition. So we have, for example, case studies, and this has been, you know, open for debate. We have talked about it on the internet. People in social media has taken on Rewire in America for this. But the truth is, you know, we need to put this in front of people. You know, we, we have case studies for different family profiles. You know, we have calculated what if you weren't to electrify today, but if you were to do it within the next five years, how much money you would have to pay? Can you get some of that money from the federal government? So we did these tables and we created this, you know, electrification planner for people. And, and you know, in, in this diagram, you can see that, you know, in 2022, you can start by switching to clean electricity. But then by 2027, you can even change your clothes dryer for, for a heat pump clothes dryer. And, you know, you can start thinking about, you know, getting rid of natural gas entirely. So, you know, we are creating these, these profiles and, and it is not meant for people to follow the numbers and to follow everything, you know, from A to Z, but it is basically there to illustrate that it is possible. It is possible to electrify. It is possible to be part of this. And, and in doing that, you're going to help unleash, you know, the carbon value. Because what we're thinking is if we were to electrify, let's say 1.2 million homes every year, you know, there is a chance that we could produce $2.2 billion in, in bill savings, but also mitigate 120 million tons of uh, carbon emissions and in the process create close to 50,000 jobs. So, you know, there is an opportunity to do this. And the one thing that we probably need to do is to, you know, create what we call rewiring communities. We need to create somehow synthetic markets where we would be able to aggregate not one project because, you know, as you know, if you have one project, it may be expensive, but what if you have 10,000 buildings? What if you have an entire city? Can you actually reduce costs that way? And we believe that you can. So Rewiring America is thinking, what if we were to identify 500,000 households that we can organize, coordinate, and, and electrify together? Can we actually create communities? Can we actually have cities to commit to fully electrify their building stock? You know, that's the only way we're going to go electric. And, and we believe we have the formula. We believe that we have the tools, and we believe that we have the access. You know, like this is an example. You know, we've been talking to the key, key people in this country telling them we need to electrify. Heat pumps are a reality. And I, I don't know if you saw, but President Biden tweeted today and put in Instagram that, you know, you need to up, upgrade your, your breaker box, you know. And just a few days ago, he was talking about heat pumps because he agrees with us. And the one thing that people say about, you know, rewiring America is, you know, we don't fuck around, really. I mean, we believe in the cause. We believe that we can do this. And we believe that we 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 have the tools that we need. So, you know. I think it is a pleasure to work with you. I believe that the tools that we have are available. There's a ton of information that we use for education that we're very happy to share with you. And I believe that if you have any contact with your you know, government officials, for example, we'll be happy to talk to them. We are pushing this because we believe it can happen because that's the only way we can actually make a difference. Thank you very much. I would be very happy to answer any questions you may have at this point. Well, thank you, Luis. <clears throat> that was terrific. And I appreciate um, 
that you were able to get so much information in a relatively uh, brief presentation there. Uh, I do want to touch on, before we jump in directly to the uh, audience Q&A, a question from, from me. Um, so our principles kind of, we have two kind of pillars when it comes to building electrification and efficiency for us, and they're speeding up the pace of building electrification because of the obvious emissions benefits and that the science tells us that needs to happen. So I think we're definitely aligned there. But another key thing that you flagged was uh, the affordability piece. And for us, it's important that, you know, we're making things affordable for low and middle income homes to become more efficient and uh, more effective. So I think you know, those both pillars are aligned with what you, you just presented and, and in fact have shared values. And one of the pieces that you showed um, that drew my attention was our, we hear a lot from our volunteers that they understand that these subsidies are out there as a result of the IRA and that there are opportunities in their communities to get people involved or to, you know, becoming electrified. Um, but one of the challenges is that there's not a kind of clearinghouse of what's available, but it sounds like uh, you all are working on that to kind of build a clearinghouse of here's what's available in from the federal government and from your state and local governments where you live. Is that did I understand that correctly? No, that, that's right. I think I mean at this point, both uh, I think Reward in America, but also RMI, you know, other and other organizations, you know, we're all looking into this and we're working with the federal government trying to really identify the best and most efficient way of, of getting these to people. I think the Inflation Reduction Act is, is a very complex piece of legislation. You know, states, cities don't know exactly how they're going to access these funds, much less individuals. But, you know, we're identifying different pockets. So, for example, the EPA, you know, managing $27 billion from the Greenhouse Gas Reduction uh, Fund. And, and then other, you know, parts of the IRA being managed by the Department of Energy Office of Electricity. So we're identifying who's managing that, what vehicles are more likely to be used for this, and what needs to be handled through the state, through city governments, and what can be used, uh, you know, differently. So yeah, we're, we're working on that. And I believe that if you go to Reward in America's website, you, you will find, and every day, if you go every day, you will find something new because we're building it as, as we go and we're adding information. And, and I really think that even if you go today, you're going to have a better understanding of the IRA than you had yesterday. Well, that, that's great advice. And, and one other question for me then uh, before we dive into the audience Q&A. Um, well, first of all, I'll just say uh, for those that are watching and, and listening, uh, Brett did drop uh, the link to the calculator in the chat while... Uh, Luis was giving his presentation. So there's a, there's a link directly to the uh, Rewiring America's calculator in there. Um, but I also wanted to say, you know, we as an organization have been sharing a lot of your tools with our volunteers um, over the last couple of months as you've rolled them out. Uh, and that's one way we're trying to be a good partner. But if you could identify, you know, one or two other things that you think would be great ways um, our volunteers in their communities can engage uh, on, on the electric, building electrification and efficiency issue, what what are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, I think part of what you guys and what we are trying to do is to, is to you know, not only create a, move, a movement, but we're trying to articulate ecosystems. You know, we're trying to connect, you know, contractors with, you know, uh, with homeowners. We're trying to get government to streamline permitting process. We're trying to get state incentives to be directed to this process and, and particularly benefiting, you know, uh, disadvantaged communities. So all of that, you know, we're, we're trying to do it. And I think, you know, when, when we go to a new community and we think about electrification, we also need to, you know, think about how we can gather enough data so we can actually, you know, you know, get the most that we can for, for our effort. And, you know, so 
part of what we do, we we are, uh, you know, we have a coalition of elected officials. We have a coalition of CEOs. We are also building what we call chapters, which is, you know, organized volunteer organizations. We are, you know, trying to help anybody who wants to be part of this. So, you know, we have the tools and we're listening. You know, that's, that's perhaps one of the most important things. We're listening to what people have to say. You know, what is it that you're struggling with? What is it that we can help you with? And we don't have uh, the one solution, but I believe that we have pieces of the solution and some of them are going to come from us, some of them are going to come from you. So, you know, I think what we need to do is just to have a conversation, you know, a constant conversation. And every time I, I you know, somebody gave this example to me, you know, when you have a political campaign, you know, you spend the whole day gathering information at the same time that you are trying to convince people to vote for your guy, but you're gathering information and that information gets processed overnight. And then the next day is a different pitch. And I think this is what we're doing here. You know, we're learning as we go along and then next day is going to be a stronger argument. Next day is going to be a different way of presenting things. So if we were able to share this information and we have a ton of it right now, uh, you know, we'll be able to to accelerate uptake, I think. That's great. And I'll just say that um, we know a thing or two about chapters and maybe there will be some chapter coordination that we could do in the future as you uh, build yours out. But I do want to make sure we get to the some of the audience Q&A. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, one of the first questions we have um, that I think ties into the, the permitting conversation that you, you touched on a moment ago um, is from one of our volunteers. Is the grid capacity improving quickly enough to serve the electrification needs? And is it doing so in a safe and secure way? It is and it isn't, you know, and, and here we need to separate two things. So, you know, one of them is transmission, you know, generation transmission, and then there is the distribution grid. So when, when we think about communities, when we think about cities, towns, villages, you know, in this country, we're thinking about electrifying, uh, you know, affecting mostly the distribution grid. Uh, and, and, you know, this has to be done in an organized way. I mean, if you are electrifying one building or two, it's easy to understand, you know, whether you have enough capacity or not. But uh, if you are to electrify a whole block, if you are to electrify a whole neighborhood, then you need to work with the utility company to understand whether you can do that or not. Right. And I really think that, you know, for a really long time, what is the capital investment plan from utility companies that goes to, you know, to fund the upgrades for distribution grid, uh, the distribution grid? You know, a lot of the time, you know, it is a five-year project. And if you are talking about transmission, it's a 10 to 15-year project. Right. And now with the new push for electrification and with the, the infrastructure law, for example, now we're trying to accelerate all that. So for renewable energy, particularly large solar and wind farms, uh, and, and even for nuclear, you know, we need more transmission capacity. Uh, for electrifying homes, we need initially transformers. Uh, we're going to need eventually, you know, to intervene substations. We may need utility-scale energy storage at substations, and that is relatively quick, relatively easy to deploy. You know, when we get real about it, when we are actually you know, tripling the Northeast, for example, of the country, when we're tripling the the summer load during winter, now we have, you know, issues that we need to contend with. But, you know, on, on the West Coast, it's not as complicated. So, you know, well, it is complicated, but for different reasons, actually. Right. Uh, but the answer is, it is and it isn't. It is not where it has to be, but it doesn't stop us from starting and getting going. And I think we're going to be pushing at the same time, you know, to make sure that things are the way they should be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I was, I was just going to say, you know, as an example of your timeline um, for some of the larger transmission projects, uh, they broke ground. The vice president was there, I believe it was last week on a transmission project from Arizona to California that, to allow some uh, um, grid scale solar installations, et cetera. But I think that project was originally proposed in 2004. 
um, or something like that. So, you know, these things uh, take a long time. Um, but as you say, there are things happening that are making progress as well. And we're going to have to try and get the investment and uh, increase the speed a little bit. Um, yep. The next question is that, you know, there are so many opportunities out there related to the IRA and just electrification. Um, what is one thing you recommend people consider first if they are interested in electrifying their homes? Well, it's, it's that you don't need to electrify everything from day one. You know, it would be expensive, it would be difficult, <laughs> but you can, you know, get your home to be, you know, ready for electrification and you need you need to look at the rewiring you need to look at the installation you know i just had a, a an ev charger stay uh, you know installed at home and you know i need to do major upgrades but as it happened these upgrades were the same ones that i needed for my heat pump clothes dryer so you know i i did it i don't have the heat pump yet uh but i i i have uh you know the the, the electric vehicle so you know i started doing that so what i would recommend is you know think of it in a programmatic way you know you eventually may electrify the whole thing you don't have to do it today um the benefits of the ira are not going to disappear disappear next year you know some of them are going to be there particularly you know those related to the tax code mm -hmm. so i i think that you know look at it look at what is needed you know when you need to replace what and if you have the money and and you know if you can actually do it and want to do it you know go for it you know go crazy but if you don't, like most people in America, I think, you know, just think about it as, you know, what you can start with and then have a plan for what's next and when it will come. Thanks. I, I think that's terrific advice. Um, the next question we have is one obstacle tra to this transition is that people are struggling to find contractors who are trained and have reliable supply chains. Is rewiring developing a database of contractors and what they can offer or knows of somebody that is or has thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there is a number of, of, of those. I think there are a number of organizations that are creating marketplace uh, platforms. So you can actually identify who, you know, the nearest contractor is. Uh, and, and there is two things. I think the question, you know, touches on two things that are somehow separate. You know, one of them is supply chain and supply chain, you know, it has to do with manufacturers for the most part. And, you know, they're struggling, you know, the war in Ukraine, inflation, recession, everything combined made for a nightmare, you know, last year. So I think supply chain is suffering. And I think, you know, the Defense Production Act that President Biden is pushing right now, I believe that that's going to help a little bit with supply chain. It's not going to be next month, but it's going to be within this year. So, so that is not, you know, a, a terrible thing. The, the problem with contractors is, you know, they're still making money with fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So not everybody wants to make, take, make the leap. And then second, you know, when you install a new, you know, centralized furnace, you know, the math is kind of simple. They understand it very well. But when you're trying to size a new project, you know, like heat pumps and design it for, for every single, you know, household, you know, the math gets a little bit more complicated. So some of the contractors are literally afraid of the math because if they get it wrong, they're going to be sued. They're going to overprice things. And, and the reality is that still a lot of them live of uh, word of mouth. So they want to make sure that they do the best job. So it's not that they don't want to, it's that their livelihood is at stake if they make a mistake. So what we need to focus on is, is helping them, you know, like helping train them and yeah. help them providing probably, you know, uh, access to organizations that can do energy audits for you that can do the design you know we need to create this proxy for the contractors and a lot of them see the opportunity i know several that have switched to be fully you know focused on electrification uh, and you know they're getting better and better uh, but the reality is that the workforce is, is scarce right now so yep. we need to also work on that you know develop the workforce and for that we need to work with the unions right and 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 you know everything is there it's just articulating you know yeah, and as you mentioned, there are 
uh, an organization that comes to mind that pays close attention to the workforce issue is somebody like Blue, Blue Green Alliance, who is always thinking about the labor component and workforce component um, when it comes to, to climate work. So I know, as you point out, there are lots of organizations out there trying to work on those issues that have uh, kind of rolling effects into the other pieces of the climate. I'm going to try and crank through three or four more questions here. Um, so the next one is a carbon fee question. I will prepare you. Um, <laughs> you mentioned how market failure can lead to, you know, fossil fuel dependent, the fossil fuel dependent energy system um, and creating waste and emissions, all of that. Do you see a carbon fee as a major solution to the market failure? And what chain challenges would remain if we had one? What would still be challenges that remain in, in your mind? So kind of looking at carbon fees interaction with electrification, so to speak. Yeah, I think, you know, the main challenge is to get it through Congress, you know, yeah. I mean, either locally okay. or, or at the federal level, you know, and that remains the main issue. Um, and I really think that there is, you know, a, a direct connection, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, this is, uh, you know, carbon emissions are a negative externality that is not necessarily part of the business model. And as long as it's not part of the business model, we're never going to be able to get people to, to shift you know, to move away from fossil fuels. So from that perspective, it, it, it would make sense, you know, to yeah. make it part of the business model. So there is a carbon free, you know, they would need to take that into account when they are designing new developments. However, you know, uh, there's ways of going around that and it's been demonstrated fully. So I really think that, you know, the challenge is to come up uh, with a way of uh, implementing this that is agreeable by, you know, like the main stakeholders, including, you know, the people that need to vote for it. So I, I really think that it's, it's complicated. And, and you know, I just want to say, and I know you want to do this very efficiently, just I'll, I'll take just 30 more seconds oh, okay. here. I There is two ways of thinking about legislation, right? I mean, we, we need to think about green light and red light. You know, we can ban people from doing things. We can find people for doing things, or we can actually create market incentives. That's a green light, green light type of uh, policies. And I really think that Instead of thinking of a carbon fee, we're thinking about a carbon offset, and we provide a, a way for uh, organizations to participate in the carbon market in a different way, you know, and, and that way, I honestly believe that could lead to specific organi to organizations that currently, you know, would be candidates to, you know, to be taxed for uh, carbon emissions, you know, to, to participate in these and start th seeing things differently. So I really would, would, would be more focused on on the type of green light uh, policy rather than, than than red light policies here. No, that's helpful. And, and as you are kind of articulated, it's a uh, um, you you agree that there's an economic case for it, but that there's a political problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, no. that's that's the whole thing. I mean, yeah. for me, it makes sense, but politically, I don't know if we'll ever get it done. So we need to be creative about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the next question is um, that. This, this volunteer says the savings incentive is extremely powerful with consumers, um, but the reliance on average savings can be misleading or, or with certain uh, consumers. So have you, has, has Rewiring America translated that chart showing the savings for lower income people into more projected savings for different levels of income rather than an average overall? We're working on that, okay. uh, you know, specifically we're working on that because it is true. I think at the very beginning, and I'm talking about Two years ago, you know, like no long time ago, like two right. years ago, we were really thinking that, you know, through electrification, you know, we will always produce savings and, you know, you can pay the upfront cost with the savings that you will produce in the utility, the combined utility bill. We have seen that that is not true, you know, given, you know, commodity prices going up last year, you know, it right. made it impossible to, to sell this just with the savings. There is going to be savings in most places, you know, when you are talking about low income, because very likely they're very leaky buildings. 
and very poor installations. So there is a chance that through a combination of energy efficiency and electrification, you can actually have savings. But you are absolutely right. We need to do this in a more general way. So we need to create like a like a table that would allow us to, you know, to you know, potentially see savings in this particular sector, mm. but not so much here, and then understand where there's going to be an added cost, you know? So, so Reward in America is trying to do that analysis. It's more complicated than sure. what we anticipated, but I think uh, we should have it ready at some point. You know? Wonderful. That's great to hear. Uh, the next question is more reliability related, and I'm sure this is one you're familiar with in the electrification conversation. Um, this volunteer says when they speak with others about electrification, they're reminded of recent long-term power outages in New Jersey. Um, for example, some people had no electric service for two weeks after Hurricane Irene. When confronted with that talking point, what's a good way to reply? Man, and that's, you know, when I was doing this in Ithaca, that was like the number one question that I was getting from people. Like, yeah. you know, we rarely lose power. When we, when we lose power in Ithaca, it goes away for a day. And I think the thermal efficiency in buildings, you know, can, you know, can protect you for a four hour, you know, power outage, but then for a day, for a you know, two weeks, that would be completely crazy. Yeah. But then again, you know, if you lose your power in general, I think you don't, you cannot really start your furnace anyway, even if it is, you know, natural gas. So it's not so much that you are protected by having that. And then people think about, you know, uh, you know, and an, a secondary power plant or something like that, that would allow you to, you know, an emergency plant that would allow you to to overcome that, but you know that applies for fossil fuels or electric. So I honestly think that uh, we are lucky that in America, you know, power outages, you know, don't happen all the time, and when they happen, they are catastrophic. But there is always a reaction by the government, mm -hmm. and you know, whenever energy storage becomes uh, more affordable, I think the solution will be there. But for now, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're right up against it, but I do think that this last one is a great uh, question. So I, I wanted to see what your perspective is. Um, this volunteer says, Dr. Aguirre Torres, what advice do you have for people looking to make a professional switch like you did from working in a technical role in other industries to working in clean tech or climate tech? Well, one of the things, I mean, you just do it, man. I mean, it, it's hard and, and you need to study a lot. You need to read a lot and you need to talk to a ton of people, but but that's the way you do it. You know, you start, you know, getting informed and learning and, and you know, figuring out what the reliable sources are for information. And then, you know, in my case, I started a company, but you can also try to think about, you know, different organizations that are already doing this where you can learn as much as possible. For example, Reward in America is fantastic. If you have no experience in climate, but you know data science, for example, you need, it's really easy to, to, you know, eventually have a full understanding of what, you know, not only climate, but what electrification can do in the fight against climate change. So I think what I did was, you know, read a lot, learn a lot as much as you can, you know, talk to people, interview people, and, and then become an entrepreneur. I mean, in, in, in at least in mind, and, and then try to find new ways of participating in this. And, and there are so many ways. And if you are moving from a technical field to climate, it's probably one of the easiest. Uh, but I know, I know lawyers, dentists, uh, people in humanities that have moved in this direction and, 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 you know, most of them have done it successfully. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for, for that, uh, for that sharing that as we wrap up, we've reached our 45 minute mark. We're actually slightly past and amidst all this great conversation, we're going to have to wrap it up uh, on the screen is a brief reminder of where you can find today's recording to share with those that couldn't join us uh, live as well as our education director, Brett C's email. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, Lastly, here are the websites for both CCL and Rewiring America if you'd like to get more involved and active, as well as the registration link to sign up for future Big Tent Climate Talks. Um, we will be back next quarter with another event. 
Uh, Luis, thank you again for your time and for giving us a little extra time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we look forward to continuing to work together with Rewiring America on our shared goals. And we can't appreciate you more for being here. Um, stay safe and be well, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.